it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 866 408 7669. President of the United States out west talking about Bidenomics. I'll tell you, when you see more people tapping into their 401k than ever before, interest rates are where they're at right now in our country. Get this. If you want to tap Bidenomics, that's an interesting call politically. Let's just, let's just divorce ourselves from this, how, how you feel the economy is going. Uh, politically, it is tough to do because you have a situation where unemployment numbers are down. Growth is not negative, so it's not a recession. But you also have borrowed $1.6 trillion over the past 10 months to support your view of what we should be spending things on, which was on a party line vote, the the rescue package and the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. It's cost us billions, and it's led us to trillions in debt. Not solely, but that's what the president's running on. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I just hear one after another, these Democratic congressmen that are literally just shielding Biden from any wrongdoing or any fault when it comes to what happened in Afghanistan. The Uh, fact that this is a partisan issue is ridiculous. Yeah, own it, Joe. Afghan withdrawal two summers later. Joe has not owned up to the biggest blunder in American military history. The Afghanistan withdrawal, the the lives that are lost and blaming it on Trump will not stand. Number two. Today, I am declaring a state of emergency in Massachusetts. I am directing members of my administration to continue to utilize all means necessary to secure housing, health, and human services to address this humanitarian crisis. Wow. Uh, Maura Healy, a Democrat, Massachusetts, broken border, breaking the back of blue cities, and you just heard blue states. I'm talking about New York City. And you know what the mayor wants? The mayor wants us to do something. He said, stop asking me. Really? What's your job? Number one. There's no national treasure, none that is grander than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, one of the Earth's nine wonders, wonders of the world. As a matter of fact, I said nine. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah, that's even better. It makes it even rarer. And by the way, congratulations to everyone who clapped for the Grand Canyon. Really moving. Broken border, breaking the back of blue cities, as I mentioned. But for Joe Biden, he does not go to the border. He's finally on the campaign trail, goes to the Grand Canyon, says it's deep, says it's big, and prevents any drilling there as well as mining uranium, which will support our nuclear efforts. So let's just keep buying it from the Russians. With us right now is Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, who is running for the GOP nomination, is on the cusp of qualifying for the August 23rd debate. Uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, welcome. How close are you to qualifying for the 23rd? Very close. We just reached and we announced the 40,000 donor threshold uh, yesterday. And what's left is one or two polls that we have to meet. I think we're trying to uh, establish with the RNC that we met the national poll. And we need one more national poll and one more state poll. And we feel confident that over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll make it and be there and have an opportunity to tell 
my story and our story of American prosperity to the country, which I think is 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 important because most of the country doesn't know me. I'm running against people who in some cases have been, you know, national figures for many, many years. And I think what's exciting about my candidacy is who I am from a personality perspective, um, what we've accomplished in Miami and how we can create prosperity across the country, and my vision for the future of this country and how we tackle big problems like the ones that you've just been focusing on right now, particularly the border. I'm going to the border tomorrow. Um, I will be there. Um, And we are not treating it like the national tragedy and the national crisis that it is. I mean, if you want to call you want to declare a state of emergency, declare a state of emergency on the border, right? You have 300 people dying every single day of fentanyl overdoses in our country. That is the equivalent of a 747 crashing every single day. We have uh, the cartels making more money uh, selling uh, human trafficking than they are now selling drugs and guns, which is, you know, unfathomable what they do with children and um, you know, it's just it's 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 really grotesque. Uh, so we have these incredible threats. We have China buying property in our country, uh, you know, putting spy balloons over our territory, uh, you know, spy base in Cuba becoming a training base, putting fentanyl through our southern border. Right. I mean, they're doing everything to disrupt our country. And at the same time, as they distract us and as they put a stranglehold on all these countries that they're lending money to uh, in exchange for the possibility of putting a military base there in the future, they are graduating more PhDs in computer science. They have better 5G than we do. They're focusing on quantum computing to break our codes and read our emails. I mean, this is really dangerous stuff. I hear hear you, Mr. Mayor. Let's go back to the border for a second. Mayor Eric Adams came out and said, hey, it's up to you to do something. We have 62,000 illegals in New York City. Get your head around that for a second. 62,000. We're getting 10,000 a week here. And his buddy, Joe Biden's not giving a dime. He asked for 300 million. We got about 100 million, but it's not going to do anything. They're taking over soccer fields and making 10 cities. So the kids have nowhere to play, taking over parks. And Mayor Eric Adams says, well, what are you doing about it? Why is it just Eric's problem? Is that the right leadership? Yeah, you know, in Miami, we had 14,000 new kids in our public school system last year. That's the equivalent of seven new 2,000 student schools. We have to get the border under control um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, We have Chinese that are coming through the border, uh, penetrating our country to spy on us. Uh, We have uh, just an incredible amount of illegal immigration, which is burdening all of our cities. Uh, By the way, like you said, this is a this is not a Republican Democrat thing. You've got you just cited two examples of two Democrats who are, um, you know, who are pleading for help and and who realize that this is out of control. Right. And and we're never going to solve immigration uh, in the long run if we can't control our border. That is always I mean, you talk to anyone, Republican or Democrat, and they'll tell you that is the first thing that you have to do is control the border, and then you can focus on solving immigration, legal immigration, in a way that benefits this country in the long term, and that's what we have to do. You know, it's interesting. It's bleeding into blue states because you got the governor of Massachusetts saying it's out of control, the mayor of New York, and the governor of New York saying it's out of control. You have blue cities and states and about 15 in Congress Democrats. What is it going to take for this president? You're a a Hispanic American. You're a Cuban-American. There are, yeah. There's a conventional wisdom out there, and I think it's wrong, that if you start talking bad about the border and cracking down, it's a message that we don't like Hispanics as a country. Is that how you internalize it? No, it's completely wrong, Brandon. I'll go a step further. 
Hispanics are up for grabs in this election in 2024. Uh, the last poll that I saw showed that 20% of Hispanics are undecided. Now, let me put that number in context. There are 60 million Hispanics in the United States, right? So if you, if you take 20% of that, that's 12 million, right? And, and these last two presidential elections have been decided by less than 100 thousand votes so think about that there's 12 million people and they don't, they're not all registered to vote so there's a percentage of that right. that are available that are undecided and i think part of the reason why i'm running is because i believe as a candidate that i can appeal to that segment i can connect with that segment i understand the nuances of that segment i'm not going to do what uh, the democrats have done uh i don't know who their branding expert is but whoever that is they need to fire them right where they they call you know hispanics latinx and then they say they're as unique as San Antonio tacos or, you know, this this beautiful uh, economic principle called Bidenomics, which I've you know, never heard of. Or apparently they want to extol the virtues of an economic philosophy where the poor get poorer through rising inflation and rising interest rates. I mean, it's just stuff that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and that's not how you're going to connect and influence a large segment of our country, which is pro-family, pro-law enforcement, pro-following the law, pro-small business, right? They, 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 they start with nothing, and oftentimes, which is the great thing about this country, generate tremendous amount of wealth in one generation. Right, and, and so far in the southwest the border, schools. by the way, it's not just Hispanics. 5.7 million encounters since Joe Biden took office, and now record highs on the northern border. But now in Florida, Ron DeSantis looks as though he's, he has just changed again his, uh, his uh, campaign director. Uh, what do you yeah. think about his campaign so far? Do you think uh, do you think that he has not uh, moved up because of him or because Trump is so strong? No, I think he's in a bit of a free fall because you know when you get to the when you get to the national level, uh, there's very little in terms of policy that distinguishes us as Republicans. So what happens is voters then start to focus on personality. Right. Because they say, OK, well, you feel the same way about the border. We all feel the same way about shrinking government. We all feel the same way about, you know, how we need to confront China and the war in Ukraine and all these things. But we're, what the difference is, how do we project? How do we connect? You know, is this the kind of person that I can see being our president for the next four years? By the way, loyalty is an important component. Uh, relationship building is an important component, because how do you create uh, relationships with uh, foreign dignitaries. How do you deconflict, uh, you know, uh, conflicts uh, in the world if if you're not a person that's considered to be loyal? If you're not a person that's considered to be able to uh, build relationships? That's something that I've done. I was blessed to be elected by eighty-five percent. So you don't. So you don't believe that you believe by him running uh, against Donald Trump, he's being disloyal. Oh, I think that, that that's clear. That you know, someone. I mean, look. If, 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 if the former president had done for me what he did for the governor, I wouldn't run against him. I mean, he was an obscure uh, primary candidate, which, who, by the way, I gave money to him in the primary. And he was running against a guy that was well-funded and well-known in the name, you know, Adam Putnam. And he was at 3% or something like that. Uh, he was going to get crushed. And the former president basically rescued him, um, made him, uh, you know, and I think that's part of, of loyalty, right? I mean, the political loyalty is important. Uh, I, I believe it is. And I also think building relationships when you've lost, I think, of the, of the 13 congressional uh, congressmen and women who, by the way, were his colleagues when he was in Congress uh, that have endorsed, 12 of them have endorsed a former president and only one who worked for him. 
have endorsed him. So I think there's a relationship issue there. He have but Mr. Mayor, they the didn't mayors. endorse. But they didn't endorse you either. I don't know them. They're not. They weren't my former colleagues. Oh. You know, they're not my friends, right? So they're they're choosing between two people that they know intimately, right? I, I don't know them. I, I didn't serve with them. I promise you that if I knew them and I served with them, uh, I would have gotten a, my fair a share of those uh, of those uh, elected officials. I can promise you that. So the governor DeSantis has suspended State Attorney Monique Worrell for neglect of duty. Uh, Worrell is the ninth judicial circuit for. Uh, a judge there neglecting your duty and uh, not faithfully prosecuting crime in the jurisdiction or else practices and policies have too often allowed violent criminals to escape full consequences of their criminal conduct. Your reaction to this? Do you know her? Is this a move that you would support? I don't know her, but I support the move. Um, I was listening to Ashley Moody, who's the attorney general this morning uh, at the press conference. I, I, I like Ashley a lot. We went to law school together. And I supported her when she ran for office. And she was explaining <clears throat> how this particular prosecutor has not prosecuted 40% of violent crime, 40%. So that basically means you commit a violent crime in that jurisdiction, and there's a almost 50% chance that you're not even going to be prosecuted. That is not upholding the law. That is not upholding your sworn duty um, as a prosecutor. And it makes people less safe. Um, you know, the, the law is meant uh, in part when you break it as a punishment, as a deterrent. And, and also, you know, people who have broken the law, they need to, to pay that price. And, 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 if, and if, uh, uh, if they've done a violent crime, obviously spend time in jail. And obviously what, what happens there is you hope that they reform. But at the very minimum, they're not out on the streets the same day or right. 24 hours later, 48 hours later, committing the same kind of crime. That lawlessness is what we're seeing in cities across America. And that lawlessness, look, in Miami, we don't tolerate that. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you saw the press conference, but she used Miami Dade as an example of a, a, a jurisdiction that is significantly better um, than the one uh, that she was uh, being suspended in. And, uh, you know, in Miami, we right now uh, have the lowest homicide rate in the city of Miami. Uh, since 1964, last year per capita. This right. year, we're 37 percent below that number. When you compare that to Chicago, that led the nation gotcha. uh, 11 straight years with 700 homicides. We have 17 right now, year to date. So, um, you know, we're we are uh, as a city. I'm proud as its mayor right. to focus on uh, promoting law enforcement. I hear you, Mr. Mayor. So you do support what the governor has done. He's taking bold action yes. there. So, so uh, that absolutely. I, I got that. So, so, Mr. Mayor, we're in a stalemate in Ukraine, and there's a sentiment among many Republicans, especially that they're tied to writing checks to Ukraine. Uh, what do you, what is your view on that conflict, and how much? What does it mean in Mayor Suarez's view for national security? Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, it's actually worse than that. I've seen polls that say that Americans generally, not just Republicans, are tired of continuing to write checks. I think there's been very little accountability, and I think that there's been a loss of trust. I think the other part is when you take a step back and you look at uh, the president's lack of projection of strength in his foreign policy, um, we wouldn't have gotten in this uh, situation in the first place. I think you talked about this in the intro where you talked about the – incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan, right? When you, when, you, when you withdraw in an incompetent fashion, the signal that you're sending to your enemies um, or to your adversaries is advance. You should be aggressive. Having said that, we, but if this is dropped in your lap, Mr. Mayor, what do you do as president? 
I think the first thing you have to do as president is you have to get the parties to the table to try to negotiate uh, a resolution as quickly as possible. People are dying. Um, this is not a conflict that benefits anyone. There is a possibility of nuclear war in the future. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that Saudi is doing that, is stepping up. Uh, obviously, China has tried to do that. We don't want China to be the broker of peace in the world. We should be the broker of peace. And the hope is that, that as a U.S. president, you're able to, yeah. to make that happen. It's very difficult. It is, but Mr. Mayor, if you, you, have... if you let Russia take uh, 20% of any country and talk peace, they won. It's a tough one. Uh, Mayor Suarez, uh, best absolutely, of luck. Absolutely. No uh, hopefully by no the end of the week, it, you'll have some news that you're on the debate stage because I'd love to see it. Uh, I'd uh, love to see it, too. Thanks. Frank. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, go get him. All right, uh, back with your calls in a moment, one 408 7669 Bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry, another major announcement when we return. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, Mayor Suarez, he's an impressive guy. He's not getting traction yet, but I really hope that he does. I think he'd be great to get on stage. I think he's quick on his feet. I think most likely there's going to be a few people maneuvering to be the next governor of Florida, which is a launching pad, as you know, and which is a state that's growing and as exciting as any. And because Ron DeSantis is term limited out. If he doesn't go ahead and do the impossible and that's get the nomination and win the presidency, I think he's running for governor. I think Michael Waltz is going to run for governor, too. And for those people who saw and Clay Travis was on with me yesterday when it came across that Ron DeSantis was rotating out his campaign director. And I understand it. People say, oh, it's panic and he hasn't had much traction. I think it's more because and I'm not saying he didn't make any mistakes, but I think it's more because that Donald Trump's been so strong and these indictments have just just overwhelmed everyone, and expectations were extremely high. So Jonathan uh, James Utmeyer, who served as DeSantis' chief of staff in the governor's race in the governor's office, will now lead DeSantis' presidential bid. And he's not losing anybody. He didn't fire anyone, but uh, Genera Peck has been moved to the position of chief strategist. And to me, that is also leadership. Not to panic, but to say, okay, if it's something's working, I can't get traction, I need a new vision. I would not mind if I was him pulling in somebody from the outside, like Whit Ayers, somebody that worked with him in the past, that's been through so many before, and just say, listen, I can help you here. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to stop all drilling on the East Coast and the West Coast and in the Gulf. The private sector's coming off the sidelines. They've invested $250 billion. 
an alternative energy. There's so much going on. Finally, finally, no one can any longer deny that we don't have a problem with climate change. Really? Okay, Rich Larry joins us now, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, I, I got to bring you to President Biden, does his first interview since the middle of July, and he does it with the Weather Channel outside the Grand Canyon in a state that he has to win but won't go to the border, and I would argue is the number one issue in Arizona. So what about his decision politically to go down there and point out how big the Grand Canyon is and how he's stopping drilling around there? Yeah, well, it's not just a stopping drilling, right? It's stopping uranium mining, which, yes. is, which is uh, key, in, including to alternative energy. So it just goes to there's there's this big clash um, within the Democratic Party. They they want to build a lot of new stuff, which is what you need to do if you're going to create this uh, energy revolution. But then they favor regulations and all sorts of initiatives, you know, to protect wildlife or protect Native American land that are they're hostile to any development whatsoever, whether it's uh, old energy, new energy, or, or in, in something in between. So it's a big contradiction. So Number one, I, I, I guess stats would read that you're trying to win over young people that you're beginning to lose who are ambivalent about you by pointing out climate change because it's a big deal for them. But to point out Bidenomics in the same way, which he'll do today and did yesterday, I think that's just pure politics. I don't care who you're voting for. That's pretty questionable. I mean, jobs numbers was not strong. Growth has not been great. The death, we have put $1.6 trillion, uh, in 10 months into our deficit. And now we find out more people are tapping into their 401k for emergency purposes than any time ever that doesn't. And with the with debt this high, just on politics, if you're in that situation room trying to find out what you should be talking about, should this be it? I think so, because, I mean, just uh, it's always the most important issue in, in an election and uh, a president's fate rises or falls with the state of the economy usually so you just got to you got to work with the, what you have and try to talk it up and their their theory i think it's wrong for some of the reasons just outlined their theory is that people are kind of irrationally down on the economy even though a lot of the economic indicators are good and you just need to look at one thing to realize that that's wrong what, what's happened to real wages the last two years where they've effectively eroded because inflation has out, outpaced any pay raises. People feel that. You're not going to talk them out of that. You're not going to make them feel better with, with anything you say uh, or do. But, you know, they're, they're looking at a potential soft landing, you know, which is different than what some of us expected or, or predicted, and they want to they wanna brag about it. Now, it's not necessarily, you know, the landing is not assured it's going to be soft, but, um, you know, the inflation rates come, come down without a suffering recession. That doesn't necessarily, you know, you're around your kitchen table. That, that's not the greatest thing, uh, but it, it's better than the alternative. The other thing that if you're a Republican, you point out that are you comfortable giving billions of dollars to the Russians to give us uranium? Mm-hmm. Are yep. you okay with giving up our influence in Africa where other uranium is located to the Chinese and to the Wagner Group in Russia as revolution after revolution takes place? And that's what you say. It's not a matter of liking cactus and, you know, and yep. seeing the size of the Grand Canyon. It's in exchange for what? Here's Joe yep. Biden. Cut three. Protecting our outdoor treasures, making our nation more resilient. But some MAGA extremists in Congress are trying to undo it all. I didn't get any help from the guys on the other team. Every single solitary person voted against this historic clean energy investment. And now many of them are trying again to repeal these parts of the bills. But we won't let them. You know what? There's no spin there. 
everything he said was right, and I'm okay with that. Are you? Yeah, no, of course. Um, we will we'll have um, better and more efficient and cleaner, quote-unquote, um, energy sources inevitably as technology develops. It doesn't mean we need it right now. Uh, getting it, right, Spending a lot of money on it right now is expensive, one. Uh, it's going to raise costs, two, and the, the, uh, it just might not make economic sense, and the technology is not there yet. So uh, our, our economy has become steadily more energy efficient over the last several decades uh, w- without really heavy-handed regulation doing it. It's just uh, it's, it's the market at work. So that, that makes more sense. And e- even if you want to force it now to supposedly save the, the, the planet, the, the effect on global warming over the next 100 years or 80 years is, is minuscule, anything we're going to particularly do. So I think there's no alternative to uh, adapting to whatever changes come, and we're an incredibly resilient um, society and species. We, we, can, we can handle it. You know, if there's a degree or two of warming over time. And, and you know, across all of uh, the recorded history, the, the climate has changed. The temperature has changed. So the idea that we're, we're just right at the, at the uh, uh, ideal temperature right now and you tip anywhere off of it and society collapses is ridiculous. So there's a story out right now today uh, about, you know, he doesn't do real interviews. In the middle of July, he does one interview in August. He hasn't done an interview since middle of July. And in the middle of August, he does an interview with the Weather Channel and doesn't get any tough questions except for why haven't you banned all federal dr- drilling on federal land, mm-hmm. which is that's like, uh, you know, why aren't you winning by 20 games instead of 17 mm-hmm. games yep. if you're a member of the Weather Channel? But now this story, the Biden family business has received, according to James Comer's latest revelations, over $20 million from Russia, Ukraine and Kazakhstan. Now, we know Hunter Biden's at the head of this. But the but the influence behind it, according to now we have Eric Sherwin, as well as Devin Archer, is the influence of the former vice president, now President Joe Biden. I mean, I'm noticing this. I'm seeing the news titan is Rich Lowry. Yeah, I I think they've done great work. Uh, We're getting closer and closer to what would be the smoking gun here, you know, direct business connection to Joe Biden. But just the spin, you know, uh, Archer didn't actually say it, the spin from Democrats from his uh, um, his interview when it was still behind closed doors is that was the illusion of access. But even the illusion of access is corrupt, especially with the with the guy, uh, the, the master magician, uh, the vice president of the United States, uh, especially if he's playing along, right, with the illusion by getting on these, these phone calls. So it gets boring to say, but, you know, if this were Don Jr., it would be a, a five-alarm Fire be. and and they didn't have anything like that on uh, uh, on on the the Trump kids and and then here's this you know and and the lies have crumbled I didn't know anything about it I didn't talk to him obviously that that was wrong we knew that was wrong a couple of years ago now we have you know hard and fast evidence that was wrong and you think that would uh, uh, pique the interest of the press but it, it hasn't. A little bit. Uh, they say now Hunter's fair game, but they don't realize if they're not paying close enough attention. Not only is it fair game, it leads right to jail. Uh, right. And and we'll we'll see where these revelations go, which Sherwin says behind closed doors. Now, I'm not, it's not getting a lot of play, but the prosecutor that Joe Biden fired, he said, you don't get your billion dollars unless mm-hmm. you fire him. Yeah. Choykin, he spoke out and he says, I had no problems. I was going after Hunter and he didn't like that. 
And that's why I got fired. That's why Joe Biden fired me. That was the interview he gave in Ukraine, uh, in Ukraine uh, through a translator. That came out last week, and that has got, not gotten significant traction. But that's exactly what the Republicans have been accusing him of doing and him saying, no, the whole world, the IMF, and everybody wanted this guy fired. He said, that is absolutely not true. So now we have a voice and a face behind the accusation. Yeah, I mean, it'll just be so incredible if if we went through this whole first impeachment with Trump advancing what everyone in the media said was a conspiracy theory, right? That that Biden was in on this and he he got rid of the prosecutor in order to advance the business interests of his son and ultimately his his family and perhaps himself, and and that was correct. <laughs> it'll be just a, another vindication. Right. But just don't, don't send Rudy Giuliani out there to do it and create some havoc. Uh, and and we'll see what happens. OK, so now we have a debate and it looks like the pre- the former president of the United States is leaning towards not going. People have said to me, anyone who says they know is mm-hmm. lying because the president hasn't fully made up his mind. Do you believe he'll be there on the 23rd? And should he be if you were working on his campaign? I'm a, I'm a little less certain than I was. I've been saying for a long time I didn't think he'd show up. I guess I, I still think he won't. Uh, he's so far ahead. If if he doesn't show up, it's going to be scorpions in a bottle. You know, uh, going after uh, DeSantis. You know, debating Pence and whether he did the right thing. Why wouldn't you just just uh, let that happen? And you know, if you take a hit for it, you, you got some. You know, you got some cushion, and you show up for the for the next one. So. Uh, I still kind of think that's what he, what he's going to do, but I mean it's classic Trump, right? We're not going to know until the the clock ticks, right? Uh, you know, or or you know, an hour ahead of time, whether whether the the plane shows up or the helicopter or whatever, because it, it'll just uh, even if he doesn't show up, that'll still make it all about him. So the latest poll, Republican primary election poll, fifty five percent for Trump, thirteen uh, percent for DeSantis, uh, stuck at nine, Haley Scott, Pence, uh, Christie at five. Ramaswamy is at four. What changes? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's not a competitive race at the moment. Maybe it's not a competitive race the, the whole way through. That would be extremely unusual. Even the heavy front runners, you know, Al Gore in 2000 against Bill Bradley. There's no way he was going to lose to Bill Bradley, but he had a, had a scare or two. Um, to, just for, for Trump to, to lead pillar to post like this would be uh, unprecedented, but we've had a lot of unprecedented things. And it's hard, you know, your question, what changes? It's really hard to see. Another indictment's not going to do it, obviously. Um, it might be, you know, that he, over time, Republican voters are like, really, we want to send this guy out in, in, into 2024 with these trials ahead of him? Is that the best choice? So maybe that weighs down on him a little, and then maybe someone gets a little mojo, you know, whoever it is, whether it's uh, DeSantis improves on the trail or Tim Scott or, or someone else. And then, you know, Iowa, <laughs> I know, Brian, this sounds ridiculous. He's only ahead 20 points in Iowa. <laughs> so that's his soft spot. That's that's the that's the, will determine whether Trump just wins everything. Mm-hmm. If he wins Iowa, it's just it's over or whether someone can can eke out a win there and, and make it into a, a race. Governor Chris Sununu, who won't run for another two years as governor of New Hampshire, said this, cut 11. You'll have some candidates surge, some will fall apart. My sense is you'll be down to four or five, maybe six candidates by Iowa, four or five by New Hampshire. And then when it becomes a one-on-one race shortly after New Hampshire, Trump's in trouble. It's not the, it's not the polls that Trump has. 
It's the polls that Trump does not have. For an incumbent Republican president to only be getting, you know, low 40 or high 30 percent in a place like New Hampshire, that means 60 percent of the people don't want him. Okay. And even of his own supporters, a recent poll say 50 percent would go to somebody else if given a good option. So he's in trouble when we get it really narrowed okay, down. I don't know if you subscribe to that. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It sounds a lot like me in 2016. Um, I, I don't know whether it's going to narrow uh, soon enough. And every head-to-head poll, he's smashing. You know, it's asked about DeSantis now since he's still, even though he's fallen a lot, he's still in the clear second place. He's just, he's just smashing him. So, um, you know, People say Iowa is is wide open. Bob Vanderplatz, you know, the the social conservative leader out there, says it's wide open. Uh, maybe he's right. Um, maybe it's 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 doable there. But whoever whoever beats him in Iowa is going to have to. Um, there's still going to be you know four or five at least candidates eating away at non-Trump voters, and whoever wins to beat Trump is going to have to do it with like probably like 35 percent of the vote or something. Um, so how does how does Trump get down to to 34 from where he is now. I guess it's possible, but unlikely. Go get him, Rich Lowry. Uh, pick up the National Review. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Brian. Talk That'd to be you. exciting. one 408 I'll come back with your calls. First time today. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, keep in mind, I'm not just talking about this. I'm also talking about what's happening at the border. I have never seen emotion so high and numbers so high, too, and more blue states affected. Governor of Massachusetts, the mayor of New York, said we're Done, we're finished, we're through. Oh, my goodness. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You do have Republicans who are largely making inroads with Latino voters. And there are many critics, some within your own party, who say uh, that there's more that, that your administration should be doing on the migration front. Do they have a point? Human beings should not be treated as pawns in a political game. If you want to deal with the problem, then do it if you are a leader by participating in the solution. You should be leading the solution, Kamala Harris. Do you believe some of these softball questions and they didn't follow up with, aren't you in charge? Shouldn't you be leading? Shouldn't you have a template? Shouldn't you be telling the president what to do? Whatever you want to say about Mike Pence, I thought he was a great vice president. Joe Biden <clears throat> did a lot as vice president. I, you, you might not like a thing he did, but you can't say he wasn't active doing stuff. A lot of it was trading for his own family, it seems. That's for a different conversation. But... You're looking at a situation. Now, look at these numbers. And nobody contends this. At the southwest border, 5.7 million encounters since Biden took office. He asked her to tackle this a few months in. What has she done? A couple of Zoom calls in one visit and says, I've gotten corporations to commit to helping Central and South America. There's over 150 countries coming across our southern border. And can I add the northern border now? 12,500 last month, which is incredible, considering our dependable ally to the north is Canada. New York City migrant crisis in particular, hurting cities which are blue almost to every in, in every state in the country. 57,200 in New York. 194 sites have been set up out of cost to the taxpayers of this state and this city, including 12 large-scale humanitarian relief centers. Countless parks have been taken away from families and kids. 
$54.2 billion cost in over two years because she can't do her job and the president's not trying to lasso the border, let alone the fentanyl that's pouring in. But you've heard that argument before. I just want to let you know that now you have a couple of dozen Democratic lawmakers who said this has got to stop. You have mayors in the and, and governors saying we can't do this. Who are Democrats? Listen to the Massachusetts governor. Massachusetts. Cut 16. Maura Healy. Today, I am declaring a state of emergency in Massachusetts. What this means is as follows. I am directing members of my administration to continue to utilize and operationalize all means necessary to secure housing, shelter, health and human services to address this humanitarian crisis. I am asking all of our partners from government and the faith community, philanthropic organizations, human service providers, businesses, and residents across this great state to come together and do whatever you can to help us and to help these families to meet this moment. Do you realize it's just a few thousand? Can you imagine if they really got hit like I'm, we're getting hit in New York City right now? I mean, 50, 60 hotels. You saw 194 sites just taken over by illegal immigrants. The owners of hotels don't mind. You can wreck the place. They're getting paid by the city, which is your money. All because he won't secure the border. He goes to Arizona and doesn't even go view the border. He doesn't have a bad policy. He has no policy. So Chip Roy, who always speaks from the heart, cut 23. You know, the president and this administration could go straight to hell. We have a job to do. In Congress, my message to all my Republican colleagues, we are not going to fund a government that's at war with the people of Texas. We are not going to fund a government that's perpetuating the lawlessness, empowering cartels. He went off. And this is a guy that lives it every day. But it's the administration that's letting it happen. And I have no idea what their agenda is, but it's an anti-American agenda. It's not a policy. It's anti-American. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but we're heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Congressman Mike Lawler will be with us, and I'm going to ask him about what this mayor just said. Uh, the mayor of New York just said, hey, stop asking me to solve the illegal immigration problem. What are you doing? Really? I thought you ran for this job. Do you want to take my Amex bill? Do you want to rotate my tires? How about you do that, and then I'll do your job? I cannot believe that's the answer. But that's how overwhelming this illegal immigration issue is. Ultimately, within studio is Patrick Murphy. He's, uh, the was the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, and former congressman. Uh, he'll be with us in a moment from Pennsylvania. Jim, with, with us in a moment officially. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I just hear one after another, these Democratic congressmen that are literally just shielding Biden from any wrongdoing or any fault when it comes to what happened in Afghanistan. The yeah, fact uh, that this is a partisan issue is ridiculous. Yeah, own it, Joe. The Afghan withdrawal two summers later, 
has not been owned up to the biggest blunder in American military history, the Afghanistan withdrawal. He has no interest in an after-action report, hearing it, being briefed on it, and the families are incensed by it because they have not been directly debriefed by the people who are doing the after-action report. We'll talk about it. Number two. Today, I am declaring a state of emergency in Massachusetts. I am directing members of my administration to continue to utilize all means necessary to secure housing, health and human services to address this humanitarian crisis. Democratic Governor Maura Healey of Massachusetts, state of emergency, illegal immigration. Why? 5.7 million have crossed the border since President Obama's taken over. No effort to slow it down that's been effective. The numbers are ticking up once again. Number one. There's no national treasure, none that is grander than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, one of the Earth's nine wonders, wonders of the world. As a matter of fact, I said nine. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Makes it even more important, seven or nine. Uh, the president really likes the Grand Canyon. He is finally on the campaign trail. And the Biden-centric, Bidenomic economy is what he's running on. While DeSantis shakes up his team, Trump polls strong. And questions are, with the criminal cases against him, what will, if anything, stop him from surging forward? We'll have it all. With me in studios, I mentioned, is Patrick Murphy. Uh, great to see you, Patrick. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, first off, have you ever seen anything quite like this with the former president of the United States polling so strongly with three indictments and uh, expecting one on Tuesday from Georgia, a fourth? Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 unprecedented. In fact, Brian, I don't know if you saw the news out of New Hampshire yesterday. I'm sure you did. The majority of Republican voters in New Hampshire said that even if Donald Trump is in jail, they would still vote for him for president. Right. Which is 57 percent. And if I told you that 10 years ago, five years ago, you go, what a joke. Well, of course not. I don't I don't care if it's Eisenhower. Right. If he's in jail, I'm not I'm not going to vote for him. If yeah. it's Lincoln, I right. can't do it. Right. But there's I, something about Trump. There's something about it. I call it like it's this trance that he has on the Republican Party. Now, again, Brian, you and I differ. You know, I'm a Democrat. You're Republican. But we put our country first. And we love our country. We love our men and women in uniform. Right. I, but for the record, I'm independent. Okay. My bad. My bad. Okay. My bad. But go ahead. But no, I would say, like, to me, it's like, I think there's a lot of folks out there that just want a new generation of leadership. They they, they want to turn the page. Both of them. I, there's a lot that are out there. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people on the Democratic side are very pumped up about the governor in Pennsylvania, Shapiro. Josh Shapiro, he's, he's a great American. Westmore down in Maryland. These are a new crop of leaders across Pennsylvania, across Maryland, across this country. Uh, that know what public service is about. It's like what the Bible talks about, having a servant's heart, about giving back, putting the, moving the ball forward, making things happen, just not sitting there for the pomp and circumstance of a political office. Senator Fetterman, which I can't believe I'm saying, but, you know, he hasn't recovered from his stroke yet, that's clear, said that everywhere he goes in Pennsylvania, you still see Trump signs everywhere. Democrat, Senator, have you said the same thing? Because without Pennsylvania, it's hard to imagine Trump winning. Uh, and along with Georgia and Arizona and things like that. What do you think about the strength in 2024 as opposed to 2020, 2016? Yeah, listen, I, I, I'll i never forget in 2016, you know, I was working in Pentagon. I was helping run the Army. Um, and I live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And I remember telling people, like, hey, I was home every weekend. I, you know, my kids and stuff like that, I would hustle home. And I would say, hey, man, on my street, there's more Trump signs. Uh, you know, people better be paying attention here. And um, I think it's stronger than it's it's been. Your state's yeah. huge. Yeah. Your state's 12 million people. Yeah, yeah. Is it's it still controlled by Philadelphia in many ways, the densest of the population? No. President Trump, he won in 2016 Pennsylvania. Without, without yeah. the. And, and, and I'll tell you, and, and he actually got more votes out of Philadelphia 
this last election, 2020, than he did. I think it's the Philly suburbs that cratered for him. Uh, and, um, you know, I thought when he won in 2016, to be honest with you, he was a deal maker. you know, before he was in the White House. I thought he was going to reach across the aisle. Chuck Schumer was from New York. I thought they were going to just move the ball forward. Uh, and he doubled down, to be honest with you, on, on some of the partisan stuff. And I think he came back four years later and, and hurt him. Um, let, let's talk about um, let, let's talk about what's happening right now in Afghanistan. I don't know if you had a chance to see the families of the 13 who lost their lives at Abbey Gate speak up. There's over almost 200 Afghans who lost their lives that day. That whole withdrawal. Did you have a chance to see any of that? I I, I saw the reports on it and I read. I didn't see it live or I didn't see it you know live on television, but I did read about it. It breaks my heart, Brian. I mean. Whether Just it was, brief people, brief brief the families about what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, th- th- to me, people forget the fact that we've asked less than one percent of our country to serve the longest wars in American history, and right now, right now, tonight on on August ninth, we still have over one hundred seventy thousand troops in foreign countries deployed on behalf of our American families here at home. And, and you know, when it comes to Afghanistan, I understand there's commission and stuff like that, but you got to get in front of it. You got to let people know what's going on, the lessons learned. You served in Afghanistan? I, I no, I was in Iraq and right. Bosnia. So I did two deployments. I've been to Afghanistan to travel when I was running the army, um, and I was there as a member of Congress prior to that. Um, and listen, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, and people forget this. You know, when President Obama got in. Right. He talked about this when he ran. He's like, hey, we got to double down on Afghanistan. We tripled the amount of troops under President Obama than under Bush in Afghanistan. The smoke bin Laden. said that out. was the good war. Yeah, yeah. And yes, because we smoked bin Laden out. We brought him to justice. He was the mastermind. He's the one that was responsible for killing thousands of innocent American civilians on 9-11. We brought him to justice. But then it's like, okay, then what's the goals? And, you know, part of it is it's not always a military solution. You need a political solution. And it was up to the Afghan people to step up. We tried in different administrations, and again, it either takes or it doesn't take. We did what we can, but it was really a political solution. Now, I think there's a lot of corruption, a lot of fraud in that Afghan government. I, I used to talk about it when I was in the Armed Services Committee, when I was in the Appropriations Committee in Congress. Uh, and then I went and saw it with my own eyes when I was there and also when I was in the Pentagon. Um, we eventually had to leave, though. I mean, we, we couldn't stay there forever. By the way, we did. Uh, we eventually had to leave Germany. We didn't. We eventually had to leave Japan. We didn't. Eventually had to leave Korea. We didn't because it's in our interest to have a presence there, especially now with the emergence of China, especially now with the reemergence of Russia. It doesn't mean they're fighting every day. It doesn't mean it's a hot war. But if you just look at a map and explain to the American people, if we leave, this is a window on our enemies of Russia, China, and Pakistan along with the possibility of terror coming back. Hey, American people, the same way they should be explaining the significance of the Ukraine war, smarter than you think. Right. You explain to people you do it. You understand the role we're doing it. We're never going to say this is going to be like France, but a whole generation, thanks to you guys, had a chance to understand what an education was like, what some Western values are like, to have an, uh, a Western power not try to dominate you, right. try to support you. I mean – and the, the people we left behind, this must kill you as a guy that serves. It, it breaks my heart. I mean, and General Colin Powell said it the best. He said, hey, when we go and we fight these wars, we don't do it for the power. We don't do it for the treasure. We don't do it for their land. We do it because we're trying to fight for democracy. We're trying to fight for freedom, freedom-loving right. people across this world. And if you just look the other way, I mean, and, and he also said, hey, we're not the policemen of the world. But when the world calls 911, they're calling the United States of America. And, and, and when you look at what happened and you look at what's happening now, Brian, women can't work. Women have to wear burqas, you know, all this stuff that the Taliban ISIS said. is back. Right. And so what we have to articulate to the American people, like you mentioned, World War II and Germany, 
In World War II, 10% of America served in World War II. My grandfather served in the Pacific in the Navy in World War II. My dad served during Vietnam. My two uncles served in Vietnam. My brother's done two deployments. I've done two deployments. This is the reality, though. That was 10% World War II. It's less than 1% of our country in my generation of our war. And people aren't paying attention. They're not doing it. And that's why I appreciate you having me on. That's why I appreciate you coming on Fox. And I talk about my brothers and sisters. And I say, do not forget that we have 170,000 warriors over there. Do not forget those thousands that gave the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan, in Iraq, to try and fight for something better for those people. Patrick Murphy's here. Uh, I'm a military veteran, 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, an Iraq War vet, too. As you mentioned, but Patrick, nothing hurt recruiting more than the way we left. Seven have committed suicide. They were present there for the evacuation of Kabul. The fact that you keep the Taliban at bay and then turn the country over to them and have them work security to allow you to get people out and leave our allies behind, I cannot express to you how damaging that is to recruiting and to another generation because I know families traditionally go family generation after generation. You just explain you're doing it. This is the generation that says enough, not the way we left, not the way we weren't supported. Here is the administration not taking ownership, but explaining the Afghanistan which role. Tell me if you find this acceptable. Cut 26. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. So for all this talk of chaos... I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. It was a logistical success, but a strategic failure. Was it perfect? Of course not. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And what McKenzie was saying is, I was ignored. And what Austin went on to say is, yeah, I recommended we have a presence there. Obviously, keep the military in to get the civilians out. How about that? And the fact is that he calls it success and that Kirby didn't see chaos. Did he see the plane footage? Chasing down this huge cargo jet? I mean, how could you say that? Yeah, yeah, and, and listen, Brian, you and I talked about this. I, I, I said... These 20, are your superior officers. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, they were. Yeah, now I'm a private citizen. And, and I would say to you um, a couple things. One, I, I get it. Exits are always... Transitions are always tough, right? But I, I look at it like the proper planning was not done. And proper planning prevents piss poor performance. It was not communicated to the line, and we could have done a lot better as a country. And I think both administrations were because, you know, President Trump called for the withdrawal, too. And I'm not blaming him, but both of them need to hold themselves accountable in both administrations. And I don't think they're doing a good enough job talking to people, especially at Abu Gate, because they're the families that are, that are hurting. They're like, hey, what happened here? Secondly, we learned in, Afghan- in Iraq that, you know, it's important to leave a strategic strike force behind to make sure that you have, you know, again, not in the middle of the city where you're getting mortared and all that stuff. You're a Democrat, but Barack Obama's one who pulled all the troops out in a peaceful Iraq. He had to go back there with this other group called ISIS combined with Iran in order to bring back Iraq, and Iran's presence has not left. And then we watched Joe Biden use his brilliance to do the same thing in Afghanistan. Nobody says it's perfect, but the way they both left is inexcusable. Well, and I'd also say, Brian, that... We need to make sure that when we had in Syria specifically, that was a proxy war against the Russians. The Russians were obviously funding a lot of weapons, arms. And so that, that's what you're seeing now in in Ukraine. It's payback time. And when you look at we lost 58,000 troops in Vietnam. We lost about 6,000, a little over 6,000 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. My over 20 sisters, years. Over 20 years. And, and about 20,000 injured, though, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I'm not talking about the visible war wounds as well. But I would say to you, right now already, Russia's lost 100,000 troops in the Ukraine. 
Um, and so, you know, we need to make sure the American people understand this is a fight. This is a this is a, a proxy war in a sense with freedom loving countries, the UN, all these countries, back in the will of the Ukraine people, standing after Russia, who's trying to bully themselves and and is invading that country and trying to do what's necessary, k- killing innocent civilians, raping women in Ukraine. So you're seeing kidnapping that, but, children and forced adoption into Russia. Right. Is, is there anything more evil than that? Right. Well, taking I, children away from Ukrainians. Yeah. Well, I look at what's going on also in China right now too, and they have about 1.2 million Muslims in concentration camps uh, in the Uyghur region, and you, and you're saying, and the rest of the world's not really paying attention. Congress at least passed a bipartisan bill saying, hey, American companies don't take the cotton, don't take you know that this is a absolutely this is a travesty, and and because again, this isn't necessarily always a. I, people, this is what people understand in America. We have a separation of church and state, not just a religion, but the government versus private sector, and that's a good thing. But we need a whole nation approach when we talk about the, our adversaries across the globe. We can't just say, well, it's a government solution, government solution. We have a whole nation Absolutely. solution. Absolutely. Business, too. J.P. Yes. Morgan Chase and all those others, right. Nike and company, right. who are beginning to move out there. Uh, we are beginning the exports, evidently, a, a, almost a low, the lowest exports. Uh, imports from China since 1997. Yeah, so it shows people cut, are cut in half, right? out of China. Yeah, cut in half. America. And again, that's not, I mean, that's, it was tipped by the Commerce Department and administration, and, but still, it's private sector following. My, my last point to you is I know the importance of the Ukraine war. And I've gone out of my way to talk to people, but you know what the average person thinks, and now the Republican politician thinks, is uh, we're putting all this money in. They don't trust President Biden to run a military operation. They see the slow walking of the weapons. And he doesn't take the time to do what you just did. Explain the significance of this war. What they see is the corruption that led to an impeachment. They see some problems with uh, that's less than a perfect democracy. They don't see that Russia is doing the playbook from World War II. Uh, and they're doing it the Cold War that they would have done had we not stopped them every step of the way. No effort to explain it. Final right. thought. We, final thought is that we, we need to do a better job at putting people who are going to put our country first in the media and talk and explain to the American people why Ukraine is so important, why that is a strategic fight right now that we have to win with freedom-loving countries across the globe. And we need a plan to replenish our artillery, our weapons, our ships, and make us strong again. That'll be the message to our enemies. I know you get it. Uh, Patrick Murphy, you should run for office again. You going to do it? <laughs> we'll see. Never, not, not anytime soon. I'm raising my kids, Brian, but I understand. Uh, he was the 32nd Undersecretary of Army, Iraq War vet. Patrick Murphy, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Of Pennsylvania. God Back in you. a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thousands of homeowners, people who have co-ops, condos in the area of Eastern Queens came out in mass to say no to the tents, no to the illegals, and most importantly, no to Eric Adams. It was a year ago to the day. Our mayor, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, showed up and greeted the first bus sent by Texas Governor Abbott. And instead of working in solidarity with Abbott, who invited him to the border to see the crisis, he called him a racist. He said, we're a sanctuary city. We'll take care of all the illegal aliens you can send us. A year later, he's going, no mas, no mas. But now he's pushing them out into the outer neighborhoods. 
And boy, there were black, Hispanic, white, Asian, Southeast Asian families. And they were saying, no more Adams, no more illegals, no more tents. So that is Curtis Sliwa, who ran for uh, mayor against Eric Adams on the Republican ticket, speaking uh, very candidly. No one knows the city better. Last night with Sean Hannity on television, the first six months of 2023, 66,670 migrants entered New York. It's going to it's already cost us. Count $4.2 billion over the last two years. The city is already over budget. The state is over budget. And now we have to handle people from other countries because Mayor Adams inherited a sanctuary city and embraced the moniker. And that's the problem. Listen, the problem is at the border. I give Adams credit for going to the border. 100% credit. But the execution to do something about it. And then his latest mantra of telling us, why don't we help out? If you, if you speak Spanish, go down and translate. Excuse me. I have a job. I got a family. You know, I have hobbies. It's not up to me to secure my own city. That's why you ran for mayor. That's why we have a governor. Nuts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You do have Republicans who are largely making inroads with Latino voters. And there are many critics, some within your own party, who say uh, that there's more that that your administration should be doing on the migration front. Do they have a point? Human beings should not be treated as pawns in a political game. If you want to deal with the problem, then do it if you are a leader by participating in the solution. Yeah, participate in the solution. How about leading for the solution? You were supposed to be in charge of the border or even the foundation of the problems. Uh, what, was there, what was the term that they used? Um, uh, they want to find out where this whole problem emanates. So she didn't want to focus on the border. Well, how about 150 countries coming through our border at a rate at 5.4 million since you took over? Overwhelming blue cities causing political problems for your party, and most importantly, for your country. Congressman Mike Lawler is at the heart of things. He's with the House Financial Services and Foreign Affairs Committee. But as a New York lawmaker, you know this has been one of the top three issues since you got this job. Congressman, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. What about the, what about the gall of her saying somebody else be part of the solution? She should be leading. She has not done anything except for a couple of Zoom calls. She should be embarrassed, uh, frankly. I, I mean, the administration tasked her with handling uh, this crisis, and it has gotten worse uh, with each passing day. We just saw a 30 percent uptick in the number of illegal border crossings in the month of July after the administration, you know, uh, took great pains to tout its uh, plan that it put in place uh, with the expiration of Title 42. Uh, but this administration has failed miserably to deal with the border security. Uh, and obviously, we've we've seen over six million migrants cross the border uh, illegally. Many of these uh, folks seeking asylum, those cases, when they're finally heard, are rejected. So this has been a disaster in New York in particular. We've seen an administration uh, in Mayor Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul. Uh, who have failed to deal with this responsibly, uh, and it has created an absolute mess uh, in districts like mine where Eric Adams has tried to uh, ship migrants 
uh, from New York City into uh, communities like mine. We don't have the infrastructure to handle uh, a massive influx of, of migrants. And so this has been a real problem. Uh, and, you know, for, for Kamala Harris to, to sit there and lecture other people when it was her responsibility uh, to go down to the border and put together a real plan to stop this influx uh, is just disgraceful. Yeah. I, so Mayor Adams says, what are you doing to help? If you speak Spanish, why aren't you volunteering to be a translator? Why aren't you going to the park to help serve them food? Is he crazy? Really? We have to go volunteer to help illegal immigrants? There aren't Americans if we have time to volunteer? There aren't kids in schools or after-school projects? We have to put them in parks? I know personally, I uh, coach soccer, and I probably coached 40 games at Randall's Island. Uh, Maybe more. And then watched a bunch. Now they got tents sitting up. You have the most active fields in New York City with adult leagues to ch- to uh, to four year olds, and now you put tents there. What are those kids going to do, Mike? Well, it's just amazing. I mean, you know, this is the same mayor that wanted to house migrants in schools, uh, in school gymnasiums, uh, and now he's using athletic fields uh, that these children rely on to play uh, during during the summer months. Uh, it's really disgusting. Uh, you know, look, my wife's an immigrant. I, I, I've been through this process. Uh, it is a fundamentally broken system. It needs to be reformed. Uh, but the, what the, the administration has done by allowing a porous southern border where you not only have a massive influx of illegal immigrants, but fentanyl pouring across our border, coming into our communities, killing tens of thousands of Americans a year, uh, and they're doing nothing about it. They're not taking on the cartels and holding these folks uh, responsible. They're not going uh, directly to uh, the governments in Mexico and other countries and holding them uh, responsible. Uh, and instead, they're just continuing right. to allow a situation where we have human trafficking, drug trafficking. You got the mayor of New York City incapable of handling this massive influx, despite the fact that they have sanctuary city policies that they enacted. They chose to be a sanctuary city, and now they, they recognize they can't handle it, but they're doing nothing to stop this problem. Not only that, it's it's happening in, in cities across the country. You know, Chicago and Los Angeles is number two, a distant number two. Uh, Philadelphia, and listen to the governor of Massachusetts, Cut 15. We're unable to move people from housing and shelter into permanent housing because of this. So instead, we've been expanding and continuing to look for housing and shelter opportunities, expanding shelter at a rapid pace, and it's unsustainable. That's a Democrat. So when you talk to Democrats, uh, we're talking to uh, Congressman Mike Lawler of New York, is there any I heard that 12 to 20 Democrats have spoken up and saying this, this is destroying our communities in our state. Any sense that Democrats are going to join you, Mike, in your outrage? Well, I think Democrats are finally recognizing that what's happening at the border is unsustainable, whether or not they're willing to join us uh, in, in doing something about it is another question. Uh, I mean, I've heard a lot of my colleagues privately say things. Uh, they understand this is a crisis. They understand we can't continue to house all of these migrants. Um, again, this is not about being against immigration. This is not about being against people who want to come here to participate in our economy, our culture, our community. 
uh, immigrants enrich uh, our country. But there has to be a process, and, and we cannot continue to have tens of thousands of migrants cross the border, you know, weekly uh, and, and have nowhere to house them, nowhere to, to, to help them in terms of, uh, you know, work. Uh, this just does not function. And so I think everybody collectively needs to recognize this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's a humanitarian issue. It is a crisis at our southern border that has spilled out into every community and state in our country. Uh, and we need we need to deal with it uh, expeditiously. And it requires the Biden administration to get serious about taking on uh, the crisis at our southern border. Because if they're unwilling to do that, uh, you know, then then this crisis will continue. So it's amazing. Uh, Congressman Mike Lowe, our guest Republican, uh, Joe Biden was in Arizona yesterday, decided not to go to the border, but was bragging about Bidenomics, even though we're watching some disturbing things emerge. Number one. Over the last few months, we're at one point. We've added 1.6 trillion to the debt. Even that's that's stunning at any rate. But here he is yesterday, blaming guys like you for not getting behind his in, Inflation Reduction Act. Cut three. Protecting our outdoor treasures, making our nation more resilient. But some MAGA extremists in Congress are trying to undo it all. I didn't get any help from the guys on the other team. Every single solitary person voted against this historic clean energy investment. And now many of them are trying again to repeal these parts of the bills. But we won't let them. So you didn't go along with that. I don't know any Republicans that did. Joe Manchin at the last minute decided to, I still can't get my head around it, or he wouldn't have had enough Democrats to pass it. So what did the what did the Inflation Reduction Act do, and why does he feel as though this is a winning issue for him? You know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, was nothing but a, a Democratic boondoggle uh, of, you know, pipe dreams they've had for years to try and, and get passed, jammed into one bill. Uh, it has not done anything uh, to, to bring our economy uh, back to where it needs to be. Yes, inflation has come down slightly, but you know why? Because House Republicans have stopped the lunacy uh, from continuing forward, uh, the Biden administration increased spending by over $5 trillion in two years, $5 trillion in new spending. Uh, we've put an end to that. The uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act is going to reduce spending by $2.1 trillion over the next six years. Uh, we are going through this appropriations process now. Uh, we'll be back in the fall to, to take up a number of the appropriations bills and ultimately rein in spending. That has been the biggest driver. You look at Washington, you look at a state like New York. New York State is now facing a $9 billion budget deficit, a $13 billion budget deficit the year after, and a $36 billion shortfall in tax revenue. These out-of-control, reckless spending policies have to stop. And the only way we're going to get this economy moving in the right direction is to rein in spending, grow our economy with, you know, energy policies that actually make sense, that increase domestic production of energy and stop relying on foreign governments. That's how we're going to get this country back. We have to secure the border. We have to put in place an immigration system that actually works, that is merit-based, that fills the needs of our economy, but that there's an actual process. Uh, the, the Biden administration has been reckless on so many fronts. 
uh, and and the Inflation Reduction Act was just one of them. No, no kidding. Uh, it's it's just such an embarrassment to the country. But he feels as though uh, we're in a desperate situation, so we have to quickly convert all of our assets to electric and be more dependent on rare earth from China. It's nuts. Just like not allowing dr- uh, mining in and around the Grand Canyon stopped us from forces us to buy uranium from Russia. How is that in America's interest? Here is President Trump, who wants to be president again. Talking about as we switch to 2024 uh, and him on the cusp, we're on the cusp of our first debate. Cut eight. Everyone can see the stunning contrast between our incredible success and Joe Biden's horrendous failures. And that's one reason why we're leading so big in the polls. That's really the reason I think it's more enthusiasm now than 2016 or 2020, because you've seen how incompetent these people are. One more indictment that I think this election's over. One more. No, it's horrible. You get indicted for nothing. So he doesn't seem to be worried about the indictment. A fourth one's going to be coming likely next week in Georgia. They've already set up security barricades. What's your reaction to uh, Congressman Lawler? Do you believe that Trump gets stronger with each indictment? Well, certainly in the Republican primaries, his numbers uh, have obviously gone up uh, following each of these uh, indictments so far. I think people are very frustrated with what they view as uh, two systems of justice, the weaponization of the Justice Department. Uh, There's frustration when you see, you know, Hillary Clinton having classified materials, deleting 30,000 emails from a private server uh, and Obviously, no charges ever coming forward. And then, uh, you know, the former president getting charged in an unprecedented manner. Uh, no former president has ever been charged uh, with a crime before. Uh, and, you know, you see Hunter Biden, uh, James Comer released uh, information today, about $20 million uh, funneled by Russian oligarchs. Uh, people are looking at this and wondering you know, why some people are treated one way and others are treated a different way. And I think that is not good for our system of justice. It's certainly not good for our country politically uh, at a time when we are so deeply divided uh, that people feel there's just not a a, a sense of fairness here. Uh, And so, you know, certainly within a Republican primary, uh, you know, I think uh, the former president has benefited, uh, you know, politically from this. Yeah, I guess we're going to see what's going to happen. 20 million Kazakhstan who all figured in there, China. Uh, this stuff is unbelievable what's been going on. But what makes it worse is how the president lied in 2020 about the laptop, lied about not knowing about his son's business dealings. That helped him get elected. Mike, if there was some, uh, Congressman, if there was some semblance of uh, a moderator or anybody else, go, excuse me, that's not true. Uh, the laptop Israel. I mean, are those your emails? Is that your voicemail? Are these your pictures of your son? I mean, is that Bo Biden's bumper sticker on it? Instead, we didn't get the truth in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2020 election. And now we're beginning to get it. Will people pay attention? Uh, and we'll see if, well, uh, uh, you know, many people think he's not because of this. Well, he's not going to be the nominee. I, I, I will say J- James Comer and Jim Jordan uh, have been doing a very good job on these investigations, getting the facts and the evidence, uh, not exaggerating, not adding things that aren't, but just getting the facts and the evidence. And that process will play itself out. Uh, and and we will see. I mean, I think uh, the more information that has come out certainly has been disturbing uh, and really contradictory to what the president said 
uh, in 2020. Every step of the way. And do you think there should be an impeachment inquiry? Would you support it? So I'm not there yet. I think the investigations that Comer and Jordan are doing uh, with their committees uh, are are underway and should continue. And, you know, when the information is there that that warrants a next step, you know, we'll take it. But I I think at the moment uh, they need to continue doing the work that they're doing uh, and let that process play out. You know, impeachment should not be political. We've seen what's happened uh, when it when it has been. Uh, and it's just not in the best interest of the American people. So I think it's critically important that we allow these investigations uh, that are taking place in the oversight and judiciary committees uh, to continue. Uh, the information that has so far come out uh, is disturbing, um, but I think I think we need to to let these investigations uh, play out a little a little further uh, before we take any next steps. All right, Congressman Mike Lowe of New York. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. All right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. We have a busy show. So glad you're here. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, uh, we are back. Just a quick note, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, the probably the top podcaster, thought leader, one of the thought leaders in the country from Canada. He's going to be on One Nation this weekend, and I'm going to give a part one and then a part two the following week. But you're going to hear it all unedited here on our show. Uh, we have not figured out a date for that. Uh, but uh, Jordan Peterson, we talk about everything. Literally, we thought to ourselves, we had to air it right away. But what he was talking more about is life. And why people do things and where are these countries heading who weren't tied to the news, which I think makes them real popular. I think people are tired of the news uh, in many cases. Now, you're not tired of this show, but they get worn out by the news. So that's one thing that's important. And you heard Congressman Lawler. Normally, sometimes you talk about New York issues and you think I'm leaving out 49 states, but I'm not. I'm pointing out Democrats. They can't believe the policy of the border and how it's affecting the entire country. I want to play this whole clip. Here is Chip Roy. With uh, Stuart Varney yesterday, congressman from Texas, cut 23. You know, the president and this administration could go straight to hell. We have a job to do. In Congress, my message to all my Republican colleagues, we are not going to fund a government that's at war with the people of Texas. We are not going to fund a government that's perpetuating the lawlessness, empowering cartels, allowing fentanyl to kill Americans, and allow little girls to get raped in stash houses in Texas. Enough? This is our fight. And I'm tired of Republicans who are giving lip service to it and for years have been supporting it because they want cheap labor. Yeah, I I don't know anything about that. He might know some about that in these border states or others. I think it's gone way beyond that. It's it's like, hey, we need somebody in the in the steakhouse, the meat house, uh, the meat factory or or, or the bottle factory. We just talking about nowhere to even put people and they're not eligible to work with them in process. In many cases, some are doing without even any paperwork crazy. Chip Roy is right. He's outraged. And the question is, when it comes to finding the government, is this going to be looped in somehow? I hope so. Really good. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. The great Martha McCallum is going to be here. You know, anchor the story at 3 o'clock. She's going to be co-moderator of the big August 23rd debate. We got the rules. They're out there. Also, a big announcement. Fox Business will have the second big debate with the criteria will be greater. We'll see who's going to be left on that stage. We know things happen, and that's exciting. Uh, I tell you, I come from a sports background. And the closest thing to sports is politics because you have game strategies, the performance of the uh, candidate itself and the organization around him. It is so similar. Then the execution under pressure and the unscripted stuff, which is the interviews and how you act in in town hall. So Martha McCallum on that. Those be some surprises. Now, as you know, we're uh, we're seen on Fox Nation. So we got the stream. And if you're smart enough to do that, you'll see my next guest it might look familiar to you. Uh, Michael Orr. Former NFL uh, standout, author of a brand new book, When Your Back's Against the Wall, Fame, Football, and Lessons Learned from a Lifetime of Adversity. Uh, Michael Orr, longtime Raven, uh, now author. And, uh, of course, uh, he was you the subject of The Blind Side. The, yes, sir. The movie. Yes, sir. Same guy. Great to see you. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bill. I, I do want to talk, uh, I, I do want to talk uh, uh, football, but first I want to talk about you. With the with the movie in particular, did it roughly tell your story? I know you didn't love the way the movie came out, but do you, were you happy with the the fact that Michael Orr's name got out there and what you overcame to to be what you became? No, I'm thrilled uh, to have a movie made about me. I'm, it's surreal, actually. Uh, I think what it did was gave me a position to be in, and that I'm honored to be able to motivate and inspire generations behind me. Um, no, other things led to me, you know, saying, uh, where people may may think I don't like the movie, but no, being one from the roads that I had to travel, uh, to have a movie made about you that inspire the world, know your name. Uh, you can continue to have uh, a great platform to give back and writing books when you're back against the wall, my new book. So no, uh, it's all, it's all good. And you know, I'm I'm still chasing greatness and trying to make it happen. So, so your long term coach was John Harbaugh. So I wrote him last night and I asked him. <laughs> I texted him. I said, I know how busy you are, but I said uh, Michael Orr is coming on. What can you tell me? He said he did whatever the team needed. He treated people so well, especially kids. He was a huge uh, he was a huge deal while he was here, but always was great with people. What struck me was, as uh, as interesting as his story in the movie was, there was way more there with Mike. Very thoughtful, very smart. Uh, much more depth. That, that's great coming from uh, Coach Harbaugh. I, I I wouldn't expect anything less from him. Uh, he's, 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 he's like he, a great guy. No, he's a great man, a great guy. Love playing for him. Uh, hard nose, my type of coach. Uh, you know, every day it's going to be a war out there on the practice field. And, you, you know, dealing with, in sports, especially in the NFL, I always hear guys talking about preseason and uh, practice and how, you know, they treated preseason. And you you got to warm up and, uh, you know, it, this game right here, you're gonna only going to play a f- couple games. And, you know, once the, the speed's going to change in the uh, – once the regular season come around or – the speed changes in the playoffs. The lights get bigger. The speed never changed for me because of the Coach Harbaugh. I mean, preseason it was a real game. Preseason game number two. These were real. These were playoff type uh, atmosphere, atmosphere games for at least for 
it was for us in the trenches, the defensive line, offensive line. We went out there trying to win every game. And that's the, that was the Ravens mentality. That's Coach Harbaugh's mentality. And uh, I, I know they were on the streak for 16, 20 rec, uh, preseason wins. And that's the mentality he had. Right. And that's what I loved about him every day. That, I mean, that's the why the one thing, they were the most consistent winning team you guys were in the NFL. That's why he's got the job for all these years. It's almost unheard of. You it's know hard. It, no, I, I get it, and it's hard to find. He's going to, he's going right. to, every day it's about fundamentals. It's about technique. It's uh, about being relentless on doing the right thing. And that's why I, when I talk about football, and it's only going to be a five, six teams who's going to be in the running year in and year out. That's because they have that foundation right there. The organization, the, the, yeah, the or, organization from top to bottom who believe in winning. So, so your story—you should not have been successful as you were. Tell everybody what you were dealing with as a kid growing up. First uh, memory at three years old is being homeless from three to ten, in and out of foster care on the streets at ten years old. Uh, I was on the streets for a year, alone. Uh, alone running from authorities because I ran away from foster care at 10 years old. And in order for me to not go back, I had to go house from house, apartment to apartment, couch to couch, because I knew they were looking for me. They finally found me at uh, 11 to put me into a hospital. Uh, probably the best two, three weeks of my life because I had a, a clean bed. I was had three meals a day, could watch TV movies all day long. Um, so after about three weeks, they were going to get, you know, take me somewhere. So I ran away from there and that's when the journey started. They gave up custody, didn't look for me after that. And the journey really started right there. Started to go to school on my own. Uh, I needed a routine because I was tired already, already at that young age. And that's when this journey really started for me. And I looked, was looking around and I got some of the principles and, uh, the my new book and some of the playbooks. And one is uh, looking at yourself in the mirror. And I knew at 11 years old, I'd seen so much. I knew no drugs, one, violence, drugs, guns. violence, everything you can imagine. Uh, I knew the people around me couldn't save me. So when I looked in the mirror, I said, it's going to be up to you. You have, you have every answer you have, you know, right from wrong. You have all the tools uh, that you need. And that started with education, going to school on my own, doing the right thing, just doing the opposite what was around me. And did that come from in you? There's no one who said, hey, this is my, this is the right way to do it. These guys don't have your best interests. Uh, going to uh, do things that are going to break the law and get you in trouble is going to be negative. I mean, it seems obvious, but you made that decision on your own at 12? On my own at 12, 11, 12, uh, because I, I'd seen so much. I was, like I said, I was tired. Right. And I made the conscious decision to just do the opposite. Of when, did, when did you realize you were smart? I realized I was different every day as a kid because I wasn't caught up, like you said, in the violence and the gangs and drugs. And I just knew I was different. I realized I was, you know, had a ton of potential in the classroom once I got out to the private school that I graduated from. And I started to excel in the classroom. Did athletics started, get you to that private school? Of course, I think uh, it would have been tough coming from where I came from academically uh, to get in there. So that's what I say in this book as well, meeting people halfway. I had to meet them halfway uh, 
you know, in the classroom as an athlete, I, I understood, you know, I had something to offer and someone else had something to offer. So that's with me. You got to meet someone. You have to bring some to the table if you want to be successful in life. I mean, that's just the reality of it all. Right. You know, you have to be doing something uh, positive and that's just the world, the country we live in. And then you ended up in a pretty nice situation, right? In high school. Um, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, I was, uh, sleeping from couch to couch on the floors. And you're, t- you're talking about my senior year. I yeah. moved in with the Tui family. Um, but before then, you know, I was 18 when I moved in, I was an all American, uh, football player when I moved in a couple couple weeks. That's before. where there's a little different, the movie in life. <laughs> so, in Michael or so. Yeah. A couple weeks before high school, uh, I moved in. So, you know, that's what I want young people to know in this book right here because they see, oh, you got taken in and they raised you. And no, 18 years old from three to 18, I had went through a lot of triumphs and trials and obstacles to get to that point. Yeah, I guess you have a choice, Michael. At one point, it's like life's against me. Life sucks. I don't care. If no one cares about me, I'm not going to care about that. I'm going to do whatever I want. And other, it's the survivor instinct. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. Uh, I'm going to show them, right? I'm going to show the world. You're not going to discount me. Do you remember that's, having that moment? No, that's uh, that's how I thought as a kid. I thought that I was even. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking it, but I, I thought that I was something special and I was different. I carried myself that way. I wasn't if what I was doing wasn't cool as the kids said back then, that was fine with me. I was gonna do what was cool to me. I wasn't gonna try to I was gonna be right. the leader. I was gonna leader. I was gonna dictate uh the way my life uh planned out, uh panned out. So um those were that, that was my mindset. And by the way, not only does your life plan out, you have a great athletic career. You have this moment, February 3rd, 2013, cut 36. And he booms this one. That's it's the Bearcats free kick out of play. And it's him. Yeah, to the 40. Still on his feet. the 50. And the Ravens have won it. 34-31. The Super Bowl for Baltimore. What was that like? Wow. I, mean, it gave I was me, on the field it gave that me day, chills. by the way, because you guys had the blackout in <laughs> yeah. New Orleans. It gave me chills right there. I, I was waiting to lose that game, actually. Once the momentum goes in the NFL, it's gone. You can't get it back. And I was surprised we won it. Uh, we were up 30-something to three or something like that and winning that game. But it put everything in perspective to me. I just sat there after the game. Beating the 49ers and, and Jim Harbaugh. Great game. Uh, good friend of mine, Patrick Willis, <laughs> beating him. We went to uh, college together. And, uh, no, that put – I just sat there and thought. And I thought about what it took for me to get to that point. And football is the greatest game in the world. You sit around as a kid. I can remember – paying for I had to sell newspapers as a kid and I would pay someone five bucks to record the Dallas Cowboys and I would watch it once I got back home uh as a kid. That's so how much I, you love the game. That's how much I loved it. I didn't have anything but I would pay five bucks to uh for someone to record the Cowboys. We went through oh so many losing seasons. I need my money back. Um, <laughs> but, but no, uh it was just unbelievable for me to know what I went through and hard work, it had all paid off, and it's something that I, you can't, I can't tell you had the feeling. 
So now that you've had this situation, this NFL career, celebrity, a movie on your life, you have this book out now. It's called When Your Back's Against the Wall, Fame, Football, and Lessons Learned Through a Lifetime of Adversity. Can you still channel that resourcefulness and that grit, even though you don't need it necessarily, in this portion of your life? Do you still that same guy? And is there a fear of losing it all because you know what that's like? It's a fear every day. That's why I get up. That's why I'm chasing greatness because, you know, that fear of where I've come from and the fear of putting everything that I've gone through in this book uh, when your back's against the wall for other young people like myself, so they won't have to go through these things. And to have that mentor uh, to show them and that they have great potential when everything else around them is bleak. If you didn't have the athletic ability, do you still believe you would have broke out? Well, that's the thing. That was plan B. I didn't want to be a statistic. Being successful for me was having three or four jobs. And I thought that I can outwork anybody, you know, five, six jobs. I've been working since I was seven years old doing selling So you would have been the guy with three and jobs that, working. I'm selling you. I, I, I'd already I had ambitions of just being successful at something. And, you know, at times you know, when I look back, you know, sometimes I think it, you know, football might have slowed me down a little bit to, to reach my greatest potential. So I've always thought different. I've always, second grade, I get up and um, do plays in front of the school and speeches and uh, reading and writing. And that's something, you know, people don't know about me. Uh, I've always I've always been ambitious and just wanted to be different and want to be successful and uh, being a just always wanted to be a positive influence on society. And as you know, there's more than ever. You see so many kids growing up in single parent homes without that mentor or role model. Have you had that experience of going to these schools without uh, that doesn't that don't have a lot? And what are the kids asking you? I say it a lot. Uh, and. It, it definitely saddens me. That's why when I interviewed the kids to come through the foundation or foundation, when I'm partnering with schools to uh, give give them a better education and offering them that mentorship and that education uh, in community, uh, that's the important. That's when I'm. That's so important to me. And they ask me how did I do it, and the most important thing I can tell them is uh, take it one day at a time. Believe that you're something special and you have to have want to and you have to take it one day at a time and stack days on top of days and whatever you want your future to be, you have to change your mindset. Got it. And it sounds like you made it happen. No one could say, well, I had it worse. Very few people could say, uh, Michael, or I, I hadn't had met worse. him yet. <laughs> Michael Orr, uh, pick up his book. It's now out, written with Don Yeager, a great writer. Uh, when your back's against the wall, fame, football, and lessons learned through a lifetime of adversity. Got a lot of football in it, but it's mostly about life. Michael, great to finally meet you in person. Nice to meet you, Bill. Thanks for having me on. All right, no problem. Uh, listen, when we come back, Martha McCallum will be joining me. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, we're back. Martha McCallum's here. Martha set to host her show at 3 o'clock. And, of course, to do the debates on the 23rd. Uh, Martha, it was, it was great to see you, by the way. Great to see you, too, Brian. Good Always morning. have a reason to wake up on Wednesday because I know you'll be here. 40,000 donors you need to get in. Right. Uh, you need uh, 200. Uh, you need 200 donations in 20 different states. 20 different states. Yeah, and so in 20 happened. states in America, you have to come up with at least 200 people in the 20 states, right now which have, is not as easy as it sounds. Right. Uh, right now you have eight on the stage if Trump mm-hmm. shows. Yep. That's Nine right. if Suarez is about – he's on the cusp. Yeah. I, I mean, Hutchison has only one category checked. Today, Vivek Ramaswamy checked all three, which is that he's also signed the pledge. So that's the third requirement that the RNC is putting in place for them to have to, to do. So. And we find out that Fox Business has a second debate. Yeah, that's right. In one fantastic. Month. So you kept that secret. It's great. Right? No, it's fantastic. Now, have they named the moderators? Not yet. Okay. So that's exciting. Uh, so we'll see if uh, Trump's going to – do you get the sense if Trump's going to show up or not? Um, I, th- I think that it sounds like he's leaning against, but I certainly hope that he will reconsider that because I think it's a really unique opportunity. It's going to be an enormous number of people who are watching. I also think it gives him an opportunity to rebut some of the things that the others might say about him on stage. And, uh, you know, they, they need breakout moments, these candidates, because they are kind of mired in a second tier at this point. So I, I think it behooves him to be there and I hope he will. No opening statements, one-minute answers, 30-second follow-ups, closing statement, 45 seconds. How, when, uh, how do you get people to keep to a minute? Um, we have a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I think that the point is you, you should be able to get a good answer in in a full minute. I mean, we in television know that a minute is actually quite a bit of time to answer right. a question. And they, there will be lots of opportunities for them to come up. If someone brings them up in their answer, then they'll get 30 seconds to rebut that. Um, I think there's if we keep it at this pace, we're going to get a lot of people involved. Whole half hour with Martha McCallum next. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You believe by him running uh, against Donald Trump, he's being disloyal? Oh, I think that, that that's clear that, you know, someone, I mean, look, if, 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 if the former president had done for me what he did for the governor, I wouldn't run against him. I mean, he was an obscure uh, primary candidate, which, who, by the way, I gave money to him in the primary. Uh, he was going to get crushed. And the former president basically rescued him, um, made him, uh, you know, and I think that's part of, of loyalty, right? I mean, the political loyalty is important. So that was Mayor Suarez one hour ago. Martha McCallum here said to host the debate on the 23rd, her show, at 3 o'clock today. And he does not like the governor. And he oh, says, no. personally. All those we, Florida guys, they're not getting along very well, are they? What do you think about that? He thinks he's being I find it surprising. It's, it's interesting because you and I were just talking about prior debates that I have moderated with uh, that Brett and I have moderated. And one of the ones that really stands out in my memory was um, Ron DeSantis when he was running for the nomination, the Republican nomination for governor against um, the then agricultural commissioner in Florida, Adam Putnam. Everybody thought Putnam was going to win that race. Everybody thought Putnam was going. And one of the biggest criticisms against Ron DeSantis at the time was that he was on Fox all the time, that he was running on, you know, that that he was using that to reach people rather than campaigning on the ground in Florida. And we asked him about that in the debate. 
But at the end of that debate, everybody, I think, walked into that debate. Putnam was ahead, thinking that he was probably going to clinch that nomination. And Ron DeSantis turned that nomination around during that debate. He was good. He was very strong. And I think that was a big moment for him. So there's no doubt that the former president supported him, you know, gave him support, gave him an endorsement. Um, but, you know, it's also clear, I think, from what Suarez is saying is that um, he's trying to tell the former president exactly what he wants to hear. Right. Uh Yes. And, you know, it's interesting with Mayor Suarez, he did not vote for uh, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So we'll see if he gets on stage. Uh, Yesterday, Donald Trump asked the audience, should I debate? And I thought debate for some reason, the audience is against him debating, but not this audience. It was means seems 70, 30. Yes, I should debate. What would it how would it uh, how would that change the dynamics for you? And how much have you thought about that as the moderator? Yeah, well, I mean. Well, I mean, I think that's the way it should be. I think the lead candidate should be in the center of the stage at that podium. That's the way that it's always been done. There have been other times when um, a former president hasn't taken the stage. But this is different because he lost the last election. He hasn't been in office for four years. So although he has sort of the air of an incumbent and obviously a former president and the gravitas that comes along with that, he's been out of office for four years. I think it's an extraordinary opportunity for him to be on that stage. I think that he will reach more people than he's reaching in any other venue. And I think that um, that it gives him an opportunity to kind of knock down some of the criticism that will be coming at him from from other people on that stage. So I certainly hope he takes advantage of it. Um, he's done those a few times. I've seen, you know, sort of the crowd is like 50-50. And I think that they want to see him on the stage because they like watching him in this environment. And we, we'd love to see that too. I know you're going to work just as hard whether he's there or not, but how does it change things, do you think? Well, I mean, obviously you have questions written for uh, for the former president if he's on the stage and then we have questions for everybody else. So we'll be ready in in any scenario. Um, It changes the dynamic, I think, between the candidates when you have the front runner right in front of them and they have the opportunity to, um, you know, to answer to his criticism and he to theirs. That's one of the reasons that I think it would be very effective for him to be there. So it's interesting because obviously Chris Christie will hurt. Don't want to be president. Bad guy. Bad. He'll never be reelected. Others have hedged. Like Nikki Haley is hedged. We will criticize him, but hedged. I'm not telling you anything new to know that Tim Scott. They don't say anything bad about each other. No, never. Timmy. Yeah. Uh, the president calls it Timmy. No, they like have a Timmy. good relationship. They have a yeah. good relationship. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting because some of them might want to be there on number two in the ticket. How hard do they go after him? And how do you resonate with the Trump supporters? If you criticize Trump's behavior after the election and you criticize or agree with some of the indictments, yet without the indictments, it's the only way to get the only way Trump is out is if the indictments stop him somehow, whether in the polls or actually put him in prison. That's right. Um, It's obvious that there's only one way for any of these individuals to get off this stage into the next level, and that's through Donald Trump. And then whoever gets through that bar is going to have to go up against Joe Biden or whoever else the Democrats end up running uh, against the Republican candidate. So they this has been the real conundrum for all of these candidates since day one. And you've seen them all sort of dance around and try to figure out where they want to position themselves. I think it's pretty safe to say that Chris Christie and Will Hurt are, are probably not in the potential vice presidential category. Yes, I think, I think it's safe to say that if uh, the former president dominates and if he wins the nomination, that some of the people who say that they wouldn't they're not in this to be vice president. Um, and maybe, you know, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley are, you know, fall into that category eventually. We will see. 
Um, but I, I think they've all sort of defined where they are. I think it's interesting. Lately, you see Ron DeSantis uh, and Mike Pence sort of sharpening their attacks on the former president. Mike Pence, big time. I mean, Absolutely. he's looking to draw blood. And DeSantis now, a little bit recently as well. And I think he probably realized, why am I having such trouble getting to the threshold to get on this debate stage? I'm, I'm, I'm a former governor, con- very successful congressional leader, vice president for uh, four years. And when to as soon as he started criticizing Trump, he got some uh, a lot of supporters. So yesterday, Ron DeSantis announced he's fired his campaign manager. She moves over. She becomes a strategist. Um, James uh, Altmeyer comes in, served as his chief of staff. Second major shakeup. How significant is this, Martha? Behind the scenes, people want to overreact to it. We remember same thing happened with Senator McCain. He ends up with the nomination. What's your? What your how many times did Donald Trump change leaders? Yeah, I mean, uh, Donald Trump had a number of different campaign managers. Um, you know, Corey Lewandowski, Kellyanne Conway, Brad Parscale all went through that that spot. I think that it's not unusual to change gears. I think obviously he has to do something to change his strategy because it's not working. Um, he was expected to be this close contender to President Trump, and now he's mired in this group of second tier. He was in single digits in the most recent New Hampshire poll. So he has to shake this up. I saw today he had um, he fired one of the state attorneys in Florida who he thought wasn't tough that. enough on crime. And, you know, they I just looked through some specifics on uh, people that she helped get off who then went back and committed larger crimes. So, you know, it's fascinating to watch, right? Because, Ron, like I said, in the Florida governor's race, no one expected him to win, and he won. Uh, this time around, he won by 20 points. He's winning with groups that, that uh, he never resonated b- before, but he's never gone up against Donald Trump. And this- he's losing in Florida right now. Too. Absolutely. So and- I want you to hear what Trump said yesterday yeah, about DeSantis in New Hampshire, cut seven. I'm watching a fake newscast, and they say, would you run against the president? He shouts out, I have no comment. Now, to me, that means he's running. So I said, that son of a bitch is running. Can you believe it? I just got him elected. So that's why I've been particularly hard at him. And fortunately, it's worked because he's crashing. He's, he's like, he doesn't know what happened. He goes home, he says, uh, what happened? Where, what did I do wrong? What, you know what he did wrong? He ran. What he did wrong is he should have waited till 28. But I don't know if that would have held water because eventually they would have figured out, you know, you do need some personality if you're going to be a politician. There you go. So I don't know if that quote's going to work into your notes. Yeah. I I mean, he always goes for, remember how he basically did this same sort of, you know, minimized people right off the stage in 2015. Now it's little Mike He went all the way down the row, right? With, With Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, all of them. Um, and just basically belittled them off the stage one by one by one. And he has his sights squarely set on Ron DeSantis. He's clearly angry that he ran. On the other hand, when you look at politics, you know, Ron DeSantis was experiencing this very strong moment as Florida's governor. We've seen what happens when people miss that moment. We saw what happened to Chris Christie uh, when a lot of people thought that he should have run against Obama instead of Romney. And um, so, so I think DeSantis had a lot of momentum. I think it's so interesting to watch the really big financial Backers who are now sort of sitting back in the DeSantis camp, Ken, Gr- Ken Griffin and other hedge fund uh, managers sort of saying, well, you know, I've given a lot of money. I'm just kind of kind of wait and see what happens now. So um, I find all that very fascinating. But, you know, DeSantis is going to have to really up his game against Trump if he's going to win this battle against him. So how you know what I noticed, too, is um, 
I, I noticed in baseball, I remember I watched a friend of mine get, get killed. And he said, I'm not unhappy. Well, he goes, I had good stuff. They were just hitting it. I go, interesting. And the next game, he had a great season. He goes, sometimes you have great stuff. Sometimes you just get, they hit it. And I'm wondering how much is Ron DeSantis, how much criticism is on Ron DeSantis because he's not beating Trump and because the polls say he's not beating Trump. But if he was gaining on Trump with all this other stuff, oh, he doesn't have a good personality. He's too stiff. He's firing too many managers. He's wasting too much money. But if he was gaining and it was still a close number second, would you say this young guy is showing great leadership and rotating? How much is are the polls making people say he's not a good candidate as opposed to people saying he's not a good candidate, regardless of performance. Chicken and egg sort of syndrome. Uh, the polls... Because I find his personality fine. I'm like, that's what he is. He's got a smile, seems legitimate, happy to be there, take all questions. You know, I, I would ask the American people, I, I don't know how much, how much does it really matter if your president has a great personality? Right. I, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I'm not, you know, uh, to me... Really, it's it's effectiveness that counts. And I think when a lot of people, the reason that, that the former president is in such good shape in the polls is, you know, he he's a very charismatic politician. I think he is a is a, the kind, a kind of politician that nobody yeah. ever anticipated that he could be. He is the most remarkable modern politician of our time. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He's able to just be Teflon and keep going and going and going in a way that no one ever anticipated, Right. But on the other hand, you know, when you look at presidents in the past, you know, there have been dry presidents. There have been uh, presidents who didn't have who weren't Mr. Personality, who could be extremely effective. So I I think that we almost live in this culture that is so absorbed with social media and personality and like, you know, oh, does he make you laugh? I mean, do you really care if the president makes you laugh or you want to have a beer with him or do you want someone who's really good at the job? Now, you know, that's an open question for the American people and the Republican and independent voters who will be deciding that the Republican nominee. But I mean, the, the Trump phenomenon is so separate, really, from everything else that we look at politically. But I, I do think if, you know, if you're Ron DeSantis, you might want to make that point about, you know, what, what's the most important thing? Right. Is it effectiveness or person? I mean, he doesn't he's not really good at poking fun at himself, I guess. Right. Is the point. Right. You know, if he could not do that, that he could make fun of his own stiffness and that might be effective. Although I would reaffirm it. I think Al Gore was clearly stiff. He had to make fun of himself. I, for me, I maybe I'm the last one. I don't find him stiff. I find him direct, almost as if mm-hmm. saying, hey, can I just get this done? Guys, you know, you go to the bar. And that's why I heard he was as a congressman. Yeah. Guys like, I don't really know him. He didn't hang out because right. he didn't want to. He's like, I'd rather be home. But if I'm going to be here, I'm going to work. Right. And to me, I like a guy that just wants to work. No, I, I absolutely get what you're saying. And I think that I, it always kind of makes me hesitate when I hear other politicians behind the scenes say, well, he doesn't hang out. He's not really a nice guy. He's not really, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. he's living his life the way he wants to live his life. And um, it's really about whether or not you're effective. Like with Eric and Pete, I used to say, these guys aren't they're kind of boring. They don't like to hang out. It turns out they just don't want to hang out with me. <laughs> and then now I take it personal. We'll talk about that in the break. Martha, when we come back. The revelation this morning that $20 million went to the Biden family, under Biden, uh, from Kazakhstan, Russia, Romania, and Romania, China. China, $20 million. Yeah. I think I got some tax issues and so many more questions to be answered. We'll discuss it when we come back. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's no national treasure, none that is grander than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, one of the Earth's nine wonders, wonders of the world. Literally. Think of that. You know, it's amazing. Enduring symbol of America to the entire world. As a matter of fact, I said nine. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. So what do you say to that? Um, So he's going to run on the pro-Grand Canyon. He's going to run on the pro-Grand Canyon platform, which has not been used in a while. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Except for Grand Canyon University. And, of course, there's nine wonders, whatever it takes. Seven, Seven, nine. Seven, nine wonders. But look at it. Look at it. I'm telling you to look at the Grand Canyon. But the bigger story uh, was, I do think, is he's stopping mining and excavation and of of uranium in that area. And I just think that in a normal environment, this is what you point out. Forget about his age. Forget about the eats every word. Forget about nine wonders, seven wonders. You have to ask yourself, what's in our interest to buy uranium from Russia or to do it ourselves? What's in our interest to have to watch the Belt and Road program just eat up and extort all these developing nations or to have an offense? What is in our interest to have a all, all hands on deck replenishing of our artillery and our military. And six years to build a ship is not okay. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's so easy to run on things like that because we're not asking you to do it for free. That could also build up our economy as you give these contracts well, to maybe fledgling defense contractors. I mean, this is one of the problems with, you know, only doing an interview with the Weather Channel because these are questions that wouldn't you That's love to hear? By the way. Wouldn't you love to hear the answer from President Biden if you asked him, "Sir, I understand the sort of inclination to want to preserve the area around the Grand Canyon, right? I think that would be everyone's sort of first inclination. But then, sir, when you learn that you know we are undermining our own ability to create uranium that we can use for energy resources, and then we could be." less dependent on Russia for these minerals. Um, What is the argument against that? You know, we never get an answer to that question. We don't get an answer to the the question. question. You know, why is it that China can churn out aircraft carriers in a week and it takes us six years? You know, what are we doing? Is, Is there a reason that your strategy is not to put our resources into building our naval capability? Do you think there's a better way? What's your better way? How are you sharpening our sinews so that we can be the best fighting force in the world? Do you want us to be the best fighting force in the world? Is that a priority for you? And if by, so, what are you doing to make it happen? And by the way, we have a new solyndra. It's the Proterra. Absolutely. The electric bus company that I he know. saluted but fell on its face. Yeah. The Ford 150. I went and did a big thing on the Lightning. Ford 150. Ford can't move it. It's not cost effective. And they they need – they want to pivot off it. I know. People don't want it. We're seeing this a lot, and I think this is one of the biggest stories that people don't look at in a comprehensive enough way, right? The green energy effort, what's actually happening with it? Is it profitable? Are these companies surviving? Look at how many contracts have now been – have now collapsed up and down the East Coast by European companies who were building wind turbines in the ocean. Um they're all one company just paid forty eight million dollars to get out of its deal. Did not know that because they can't complete the deal under the contract terms because it's way more expensive than anyone anticipated to build these wind turbines. Not to mention the fact that the environmental studies were not done on them to determine whether or not they are dangerous to wildlife to, to the sea life 
Or are they dangerous to the military? We know it's bad for fishermen who have, you know, trolled those waters and, and used them as their livelihood for generations. Um, but there's also military aspects to why we might not want to have wind turbines in the ocean. Have you thought about your 3 o'clock show? I, excuse me, I just breathe in. You know, you know when you do that? Yeah, oh, yeah, it happens to me. <laughs> excuse me. Um, we're going to be talking about the $20 million uh, with a member of the House Oversight Committee, where that money came from. Who's Yelena Buterina? I mean, why is she giving millions of dollars to Hunter Biden? Mayor. You know, if you if you want to sort of sell influence around the world, like why maybe there are other countries that might be more friendly to us that you might want to consider Spain. working with. Why these companies? Why these countries? Yeah, we're not really sure. But then the guy who was working with them or may not have became president of the United States, which makes the story even more interesting. Indeed. I cannot wait to watch at three o'clock. See you then. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.